turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, the gospel reading of Luke chapter 2. Should be found on page 1014. Luke chapter 2. There's a tradition in the church, um, in many cathedrals, there's high pulpits, and uh, often the, the text, the scripture would be read from that high pulpit, but on Christmas, as a symbol of, of how God's word, Jesus, has come among us, the word was read from the center of the congregation, reminding people God's word is among us. And so this is where I'm going to read it this morning. Let's read Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census would be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time for the baby to be born came. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph, and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is God's word. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, you are good, so good to us, God. And this Christmas day, we celebrate the indescribable gift we have in Jesus Christ. Make the life of Jesus so very real to us today. Speak your living word to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
66 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, 66 years before the birth of Christ, in, in the elite community of Rome, a very important child was born. As soon as that boy was born, a messenger raced into the Roman Senate and announced this, the next ruler of the world has been born. His name was Octavius, and he was destined to become the adopted son of Julius Caesar. He grew up in the palace. He was educated by the finest teachers of the Roman Empire in literature, philosophy, government, and at the age of 33, he was the uncontested ruler of the entire Roman Empire. He just had to speak a word, and that would send armies into action. That would send ships sailing across the world. He just had to give the word, and the world would move for him. The Roman Senate later on gave him a title. Obviously, he was Caesar, Caesar Augustus, but they called him Emperor Augustus, meaning the exalted one, the one who reigned over the golden age of the Roman Empire. The Gospel of Luke mentions Caesar, doesn't he? As Luke tells the story of another birth, Luke reminds us of the dominant historical figure of the day. And what Luke is doing is he's framing our perspective in a number of different ways. He's helping us understand how people then understood the world, and he's helping us get into their mindset. Luke uh, in verses 1 through 7, first seven verses of Luke 2, he gives us sort of the perspective of Jesus' birth from a horizontal, earthly perspective. In these days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree of the entire Roman world. Luke's reminding us of the entire world at that time, a world dominated by Caesar Augustus. The birth of Jesus happens in the midst of this huge ordering of Roman society, the Roman Empire, for the purposes of taxation. This census is being taken, and it is a Roman fist of power moving people. And Augustus and Quirinius, they were the names that everyone knew because they were the names that shaped everyone's lives. These men just had to give a word, and people moved, as was happening during the census. What Luke is doing is he's also situating the birth of Jesus in history. I mean, Quirinius, Augustus, check your history books. They're there. He's situating the birth of Jesus in history, saying that this is not, you know, myth. This occurred in time. This happened in history. But he's also teaching us how to look at the world. So verse 1 through 7, it gives, it gives sort of a flat observation of the world represented by Augustus and Quirinius. You know, they were the big dogs. They were the big players. Everyone knew it. And Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, whose lives were pushed around, whose lives were dictated by the likes of Augustus and Quirinius, they're the small, helpless, hapless ones. This, this is how everyone understood the world. This is the way it was ordered. And so verse 1 through 7 are, are, are pretty pedantic, very ordinary accounting of the birth of 
just another child. Something that happens hundreds of times every day of every year. Luke, in those verses, portrays the birth of Jesus just like any other birth. Like the countless births that happen every day that nobody really takes note of or cares about. If we were driving through Bethlehem at that point in time, if we'd stopped to gas up, heard the news, the baby was born, we'd think, oh, yeah, nice for the parents. Been on our way. No further thought to it, right? Or if you were to visit the local Tim Hortons of that day, and you were to ask, okay, who's the most important figure going around? And everyone, of course, would have said, really? Who's the one making us trek for the census? Augustus, of course. He's the one making us travel for the census. He's the one who's making the big tax grab. He's the one who's, this census is going to impact our family, the local economy for years to come. If you were to tell them, actually, you know what? I think you got it all wrong. Actually, there's a little baby born just south of here. They would have laughed you off. And that shows one of the limitations of a purely materialistic view of the world. It always fails to fully capture what's going on. It always fails to fully understand the bigger picture. It always falls short in some way. Because we know this child born to us, this Jesus, has had more influence than a thousand Emperor Augustuses. And people still don't understand the significance of this Christ child. Ordinary life, it's where we live our everyday life. It's the only place we have to live it. But you have to be careful with the ordinary because sometimes it can flatten your soul. You know, people with flat souls, all of the mystery, all of the, 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 the enchantment of holiness has just been starved out of them. They don't see that there is way more going on than what the news or our textbooks can account for. But then, as so often happens, our ordinary expectations, our ordinary explanations of the world get disrupted and interrupted. Luke, in his telling of the Christmas story, does that. So verse 1 through 7, very ordinary, very plain. Yep, Caesar Augustus, we all know that. Birth, okay, baby, yep, just like every other's. Then, verse 8 through 20, Luke, what he does is he just sort of swings, if he was a cinematographer, he would have done that, swings the camera around and all of a sudden shows us the bigger reality of the meaning of this story. This is the wonder of the Christian story here, that this material life, that our everyday lives are in fact shot through with glory. Your everyday life surrounded by the good news of great joy and Christmas is the good news that God is with us even when it feels like our life is so very ordinary and everyday that's the big surprise God is revealed at Christmas in Jesus Christ God with us God is not far off he knows human life he understands your everyday life he the, the emotions, the fears, the hurts, the griefs, the anxieties, you know, the loves, the longings. God knows this. He's tasted it. He's experienced it. 
He knows you. He knows our life because he has come near to know this life. And so in verse 8 through 20, we, we get this bigger wide-angle perspective on this historical event in that region. We read, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone all about them, and they were terrified. They were terrified because the angels make it clear that we're not in control of this world. We're not in control of this life. We'd like to think so, right? We manage our life pretty well. But then God interrupts. And then things get a little frightening. The angels make it clear, God is at work in this world, which means, yes, there's a good God shaping things. Salvation is not ours. It is the work of God alone. And the shepherds catch this glimpse of heaven, which interprets them, for them now, the meaning of this baby. The angels announce the bigger reality than the facts of history we're able to capture. The baby born is not just any baby, not just one more statistic in the registry of births and deaths. The angels announce the birth of this baby is the birth of a savior. In Luke's day, emperors like Augustus were announced that way as a savior has been born. But now this helpless child is named as the Savior of the world. And not just Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, the long-awaited one. And not just Savior, not just Christ, but Lord, King of kings, Lord of lords. This baby we hear is good news for all the people. Not just for one ethnic group, not just for one nation, This baby is good news for all the people. He is the true king of the world. This is such good news for us, friends. Because how all other kings and rulers and governments have just let us down. How long have we waited for the return of the true king? And Christmas tells us the good news of how the king has come. And how we continue to look forward to the coming of that true king. And it invites us to live in his kingdom. And and this is a vital part of the Christmas story. You know, for all of this cosmic universal scope that Luke is giving to us, there's a profoundly personal invitation to each of us to live under the reign of this king. The very personal aspect of the Christmas story. Not private, okay? Our faith is never private, but personal. The angels make a birth announcement. That's essentially what they're making here, right? Now, I don't know if you've ever been on the giving or the receiving side of a birth announcement. Um, They usually go this way. It's a boy or it's a girl, right? I remember our two kids were adopted, but when they were born, I called up my parents, family, you know, told everyone the good news. Sometimes we'll announce it at church, right? Nick and Ashley, I'm going to point them out and use them for my sermon here. They're pregnant. They're going to have a baby. One day, we're going to announce some good news. Hey, Nick and Ashley had a baby. Now, wouldn't it be strange if when Nick and Ashley have that baby, I were to announce it this way. There has been born to you, Knox Church, a baby, Nick and Ashley. 
That would be a little weird, wouldn't it? There has been born to you, Knox Church, a baby. So why do the angels say to these shepherds, a Savior has been born to you? That little phrase, to you, I don't know if you've noticed, it was repeated a whole lot of times in just a span of just a few verses, like 10 through 12, uh, verses 10 through 12, a couple of times, to you, to you, I bring you good news of great joy to you. A Savior has been born to you. This is a sign to you. In, in the Greek, um, that to you phrase is plural, and it, it uses... It's called the dative case. We don't have that in English. Many other languages have the dative case, not English. But it's used to describe something that comes directly to another person. So, if I were to give a present to Roger, it would be a gift to you, Roger. Or if I were to take Wendy Rogowski aside and say, I need to speak to you, Wendy, it would, I would be speaking directly to you. It's sort of something aimed very directly at someone. The dative is that sort of personal, direct communication or giving. The aim is very specifically at someone. So the angel tells these ordinary shepherds that a Savior has been born to you, directly to you. This is no generic Hey, I think it's sort of for all of us. Birth announcement. It is profoundly personalized message of a Savior that has been born to you. This King, this Savior, this Lord of all creation, friends, He is born and He is for you. The angels are drawing out the implications of this birth. This child, this Savior, this Jesus is good news for all people that wide, because his life, his death, his resurrection is for you, that personal. So let me proclaim it as clearly as possible to you today. This good news that keeps ringing throughout history, this Savior was born for you. And I'm not talking to all of you. I wish I could talk to each one of you and say, it's for you, whoever you are. Whatever you've done, whatever failures or sins lie in your past, however well you've lived out this Christian life or however spectacularly you have failed it, this Savior has been born for you. And he is Christ the Lord. And more than anything, hear those words, would you? This Savior has been born to you. Well, the angels hear this amazing announcement. Now, imagine if, imagine how tragic it would have been if the angels heard this glorious announcement, saw the angels, and after the angels left, you know, the, the shepherds would have said, whoa, that was awesome. So cool. Well, back to work. And they just go back to work. That would, that would be a really tragic ending to the story. Thankfully, that's not what happened. The glorious announcement was over. The brilliant light that filled the skies, the heavenly host grew dim, and now the shepherds had to make a critical decision. It was the decision of their lives. What are they going to do with this? And when the angels left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said, let us go to Bethlehem 
and see this good thing that has taken place. They went to find the Savior. And wouldn't it be tragic if after hearing the good news of a Savior for you, the true King of your life has come among us, who knows you. Wouldn't it be tragic if today you said, hey, not bad message. Let's go have some eggnog and figgy pudding. Whatever figgy pudding is, I don't know. That'd be tragic. So do you know how to find this Savior? It could be the decisive moment of your life. Here's how you do it. You simply confess the truth of how far you have roamed from God. I felt that this week. I don't know what it was. You know, Advent is supposed to prepare us for Christmas. This past week, I felt my heart so dry and really empty, and Scripture just felt lifeless to me. And I just thought, ah, God, I don't feel ready at all. And then I read a beautiful line from someone who was reflecting on that very experience, and they said, perhaps that makes you particularly prepared for Christmas because you come with empty hands. You come with a poverty of spirit, which is just the right conditions to experience the hope of Jesus Christ. This is what we do. We tell the truth about our lives, that despite all of our hard work, we're as unprepared as Mary and Joseph for hope. We're as much an outsider to the love of God as those shepherds were outside of town. And you never meant to wander far from God. You just grew impatient waiting for a Savior, and so you decided to take over for yourself. And with some hard work, you tried. But some of our biggest mistakes are made from our really well-intended hard work. And so again, you find Jesus simply by confessing that in spite of all your hard work, in spite of all your religious efforts, you're not Jesus, and you can't save a thing. And it's then, it's then that you discover it is the Savior Jesus who has found you just as clearly as he found those shepherds. This, friends, is the good news. Jesus Christ, born King of kings, Lord of lords, good news for all people, for every person in this world, but good news for you. Christ has come into the world. For you, he was born. For you, Jesus lived and died. For you, Jesus rose again and conquered death. All this, friends, for you. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the wonder, the beauty, the startling and unnerving, beautiful grace of Christmas. God, may we never sentimentalize this story into myth or hallmark niceties help us to receive it as it is this startling unnerving reality that we are not control of this world but you have entered in and have come to save lead us to that place god of of recognizing our own poverty of spirit so that we might receive the riches of jesus christ Today, God, for every one of us, make the life of Jesus so real. Birth the life of Christ in us through your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.